ninth of Ten Commandments. We are one away from being done with Ten Commandments. That's a, that's a big accomplishment in my mind as we think about walking through the Word of God, right? We, we've affirmed the truth numerous times that we believe that the Word of God is breathed out by Him and it is useful, beneficial uh, to our benefit to, to receive it and see that it works in us in admonishing us, in, in equipping us and strengthening us and bringing us to maturity in Christ. And so uh, I, I appreciate the fact that you guys would walk with me through the Ten Commandments. And, and, and this morning, we're going to be on the Ninth Commandment, which I think is culturally most relevant to where we live today in, in our day and age. You know that, 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 that lying is a very pervasive thing. It's, it's something that, as a people, we've become way too comfortable with. I mean, it is, it is impossible to not go throughout your day to either be lied to, to be tempted to lie, or to lie yourself. I mean, we, we, see, the, we see it in the, the land around us. We see it in the news, in, in politics. We see it everywhere. It's way too easy for people to get comfortable telling a lie and almost not even realize. It's almost like breathing. We can do it and don't realize we did it until after we did it, Right? So I think that we, we are uniquely living in a time where it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And what this does is actually erodes at the foundation of, of, of who we are as a community of faith here inside the walls of the church and inside the body of Christ. But it also, and, and more clearly, impacts the world that we live in outside of the church. There was a, a survey in 2002, so it's a little bit older, but, but I imagine that it's probably only gotten worse, that uh, they surveyed nearly three, three million job seekers, and they found that about 50% of the resumes of these three million job seekers included at least one fabrication, right? Not just, not one, but at least one fabrication or falsehood or exaggeration, let that sink in. If we were the three million here, one out of every two of us would have told at least one exaggeration, one stretching of the truth, one fabrication, one, one falsehood on our resume. I mean, my, my point is, we may affirm the, the, the commandments like we shouldn't murder. We affirm God's law. We say amen to that. And, and then we've gotten way too comfortable with, with something as simple as how we treat truth and lies. Trinity, the ninth commandment is not just some moralistic ethic that we should abide by. Tell the truth, don't tell a lie. It's way more than that. It involves, in fact, I think more than we, more than we realize, more than we acknowledge. In the Westminster Catechism, this is how they, they break down what the sins are that are forbidden in the ninth commandment. It's not just don't lie. They, they break it down to include all prejudicing of the truth, all prejudicing of the good name of our neighbors as well as our own, and especially in, in public administration of justice. It forbids giving false evidence. It forbids encouraging or supporting false witnesses. It involves uh, forbidding uh, wittingly appearing, or willingly, sorry, appearing and pleading for an evil cause, passing unjust sentences, calling evil good and good evil, rewarding the wicked according to the work of the righteous and the righteous according to the work of the wicked. It, it, it forbids forgery. It, it, it forbids concealing the truth. It, it forbids undue silence in a just cause. So remaining silent when we should speak up, when we, when we have something to say. It, it forbids uh, speaking the truth unseasonably or maliciously to, to the wrong end or, or even perverting it to, to, to a wrong meaning or, or the prejudice of truth or, or justice. It, it forbids speaking untruth, lying, slandering, backbiting, detracting, tall tale telling, scoffing, reviling, being rash, being harsh, and, and, and censoring. It forbids falsely attributing intentions, words, and actions. It forbids flattering and pretentious boasting, or thinking or speaking too highly or, or, or too meanly of ourselves or others. It, it forbids denying the gifts and the graces of God. So crediting to man what should be credited to God as being a gift from God. It forbids hiding, excusing, or extenuation of sins. 
It forbids unnecessary discovery of infirmities. It, it forbids raising false rumors, receiving and giving credence to evil reports, so giving space to things that are evil when we should just deny them straight up and call them for what they are. I mean, it goes on and on. And, and again, this is not reading from the Bible. This is reading from the Westminster Catechism. This is how the church has traditionally interpreted what's going on here in what is literally just a, a few words in our Bible. I think what we have to understand when we think about the ninth commandment is that it's so much more than just telling a lie. It's dealing with the implications of not being truthful. It's dealing with the implications of, of, of not even speaking forth, forth falsehood ourselves, but, but supporting it, encouraging, giving space to falsehood in our lives and in our world. So I think we're living in a day and an age where it's really very hard to know who's telling the truth and who's telling a lie, right? It's actually very hard when you, when you read the news or you, you listen to a leader tell you something. If you're honest with yourself, isn't that a little bit, there, there's a little bit of a pause that you experience. Is this true? Is this something I believe? Is this something I trust? See, I think our trust has been eroded by living in a world where we've given space to and entertain falsehood more than we should, where we haven't uh, spoken the truth when we need to speak the truth. It's tempting to, when you're recounting a story to a friend of your accomplishment, to stretch what happened, to, to extend, because it feels good to, to feel their praise. Or, or if someone says, hey, do, do I look good in this outfit? Uh, it's tempting to not be honest because you're afraid of the consequences of being honest in that moment. <laughs> I was not referring to my wife, just to be clear. She, she, I always say she looks good in her outfits. <clears throat> I think it's important that we, n we not be so quick to just assume that the ninth commandment, uh, that, that we should not bear a false witness against our neighbors, is just a simple command to not lie. It's so much more than that. So I'd like to read it for us, and then after I do, uh, give God thanks for his word that he's given us. Moses records for us in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Father, we thank you that you have spoken, that you have given forth your word of your own breath and revealed yourself to us, that, that even here in this ninth commandment, we could know your heart. So, Lord, give us ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts to embrace courageously the commandment that you, that you speak forth and invite your people to live by, that we might be a people that reflect who you are, that glorify you to the world around us, that we would not be like the, the darkness of this world and embrace falsehood, but we would be a people who speak forth your truth the way you call us to as people of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, at, at its core, right, the, the law is meant to, 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 to be a blueprint for the life of God's people in the land that he's leading them to. And, and, and at its core, the ninth commandment is meant to protect that covenant community of God's people. Nowadays, we, we've, as I mentioned, we've grown accustomed to leaders lying. It doesn't take us long uh, to, to find on the internet some part of, of, of research that's being withdrawn because it was found to, uh, to have uh, the results were, were kind of manipulated by the researchers to, to show uh, the outcome that they wish. Or, or a politician who was uh, found to, to not be truthful to the promises they made during their campaign season. Or, or a leader who was untruthful with their background and where they've come from or what they've accomplished. And, and so we, we kind of put our trust in them on, on, on the grounds of something that was false, false and untrue. All sorts of people in, we've entrusted ourselves to, we've entrusted with influence, and, and they've proven themselves to be untruthful. And what this has essentially done is it's eroded at the foundation of our society. It, it, it's, it, it's cultivated in us a distrust of, of, of the people that we look to, to trust, and to, to care for, and to guide us in our society. And so you may, you may be tempted to think that, 
A small little half-truth or a white lie is innocent enough. But what, what we've been saying all along through the Ten Commandments is God cares about the formation of our heart. It's not a small little white lie or a half-truth or, or, or an exaggeration of a truth in his mind. Because God cares more than just about what's happening in your life in the moment. He cares about forming something in you. He cares about forming your soul in the image of his son, Jesus. So a half-truth, a white lie, a small little uh, fib matters. It actually matters. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said that if you were to sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action and you reap a habit. You sow a habit and you reap a character. You sow a character and you reap a destiny. Do you see how that works? From starting from the little seed of a thought, we can, we can actually see the cultivation of our destiny, our future, the, the future toward which we live. And so even thinking in the context of this ninth commandment uh, that a, a little white lie, a, a fib, a kind of exaggeration of the truth, or even only telling part of the truth actually matters. It makes a difference. Entertaining a thought that rationalizes dishonesty in our lives will lead to a destiny where, where we can't tell the difference between truth and fiction, between reality and, and fairy tale. And so even more so in the community of faith, God knows that each part of the body plays an important part toward the good and health of the whole. And if I'm lost in a web of my own lies and deceit, if I've been lying to myself all my life, what good will I be to others within the body of Christ, right? If, if I'm the foot and the foot is broken and tired and, and, and thinking that it's straight but it's really cockeyed, what good am I to the body? I'm just going to force the body to walk in circles because I can't keep a straight line. And so you may think that, that these little white lies or half-truths or, or, or exaggerations don't really affect others, but in God's mind, in God's view, in his perspective of his kingdom, the reason why truthfulness matters is because it actually does impact the community of faith that he calls us to. But what the ninth commandment addresses not just the idea of objective truth. We're not talking about what, what is a conversation going on in our world about, is there an objective truth? Is it, or is truth relative? Is that, that's not what the ninth commandment is addressing. What the ninth commandment really addresses and is concerned about is are the people of God truth tellers? Are, are they people who, who are so committed to telling the truth that they're not the ones who perpetuate falsehoods and half-truths and exaggerations. So what the ninth commandment does is it preserves and promotes truth. And it does this so that there are healthy relationships between God and between his people. Between man and God and between man and man. God cares about justice. He cares about the law of the land. Not, not the legal system, but the, 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 the law of the heart of man among his people. He cares about justice and peace. He cares about righteousness being perpetuated throughout the land. And, and if this just and judicial system is at the center of a society, of a, a community, then it should matter most that that judicial system, that system of justice is trustworthy and reliable. And for that system of justice to be trustworthy and reliable, it depends first and foremost on the honesty and trustworthy testimonies of its witnesses, of the people that come and testify to what's happening within the community of faith. So just take a moment and pay attention to the language of the ninth commandment. It doesn't say, don't lie. I mean, I think that's, that's how we kind of whittle it down or, or filter it down to don't lie. It says, don't give a false or an untrue testimony about your neighbor. See, the, the ninth commandment immediately connects 
the law to a judicial process in which there's an accuser or there's an accused on trial and there's an accuser bringing an accusation of an offense against this person. And, and, and the accuser is a, is a witness coming forward to give their testimony of an account. In Leviticus 19, verse 15 to 16, God tells his people, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. See, God's desire for the community of his people is for justice and fairness. Not partiality or, or showing preference for those who, who have money or resources and, and, and condescending towards people who don't. God cares about a, a, a justice throughout his people, throughout his covenant community. And so the law that God has given us is this spiritual blueprint for living in his kingdom where justice and righteousness are visible characteristics of his people, are visible characteristics of his kingdom. But for this to be true in the land, the underlying principle at play throughout the community of God's people is a commitment toward honesty. Do we share that value among us? That it matters that I speak truth to you and that you speak truth to me? Or are we so careless with our tongues that, that we'll, we'll entertain falsehood because we want people to like us or we are so afraid of hurting them that we'd rather lie to them than be truthful. And so there's a, there's a value, a principle that's underlying the ninth commandment that God wants to see instituted among his people. It's not just a matter of do this and don't do that. This is not God just saying, hey, don't, don't lie. He's actually communicating some of his character to us and saying, you are my people. I want you to be as I am and be truth tellers. And part of that value is not just caring for your neighbor, but doing so by protecting their reputation. By being so concerned about who they are that you're not willing to tell a falsehood because you want to guard and protect their reputation. See, in, in those days, in contrast with the covenant community of Israel, the judicial system was much less just and fair. Those, those who were accused of a crime ha had very little protection against their accusers. In fact, in some cases, there's, there's records where, where some accused weren't given a chance to defend themselves. Someone makes an accusation, they're just immediately guilty. In fact, in those days, people were presumed guilty until proven innocent, right? Which we say today that the value of our judicial system is innocent until proven guilty, but that's different than the, the law of, of, of society, right? We're, our minds go to that place where we presume someone's guilty until you can prove to me that they're innocent. Most ancient courts were willing to convict someone on the strength of a single witness, you know, they didn't have DNA back then. They didn't have forensic evidence as we do today. And so everything depended on the, the reliability, the trustworthiness of that witness's testimony. And, and really, if they're willing to convict someone on, one, on, the witness, on the testimony of one witness, then you don't need to have someone to corroborate your testimony, right? But God's plan for a trustworthy and reliable justice system required not one, but two witnesses to confirm what is true. Two honest, truth-telling testimonies to, to tell us what actually happened in this situation. See, God was so serious, is so serious to protect the integrity of justice and peace in the land that his law would not be like the law of the nations surrounding Israel. He would say, hey, honesty, integrity, truthfulness matters. 
In fact, it, the, the law was so serious about this that it handed down a pretty fierce punishment for anyone who was found to be making a false accusation. Listen to what, uh, what we read in Deuteronomy 19 and how the, the law handles false witnesses and false accusers. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he's committed. So we, already we know that there's got to be at least two witnesses, two, two people to come and testify to, uh, to the offenses that have been committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in the office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. A false accusation was no light matter. The ninth commandment, then, is a blueprint for preserving the spiritual community of faith by, by guarding against falseness and lies and promoting truth between neighbors within the people of God. See, I, I just want to pause here for a moment, and I think in our day and age, it's easy for me to come to church, to do my church thing, and to go home and, and, and think Christianity is really about the vertical, about me and God. That's what matters most. But that's not the testimony of the scriptures. Because what God calls us to is not just a healthy relationship with him, but a healthy relationship with his people as well. And, and, and it matters enough to God that he would give us an instruction that in loving God and then learning to love others, we would be guided by a shared value of truth-telling among us. We would not bring false accusations. We would not entertain false accusations. We would not give space to falsehood among the one another's of the community of faith. That matters to your spiritual formation. What matters to your spiritual formation is not just your private prayer life, or, or you learning to use your spiritual gifts and exercise them, it matters to your spiritual formation that you have a healthy relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We talk about small groups and meeting in, in places be, because we want to give space for us to dive deeper into the Word of God, but also because we need those places to exercise healthy relationships with others healthy spiritual relationships with others, guided by Christ. And so the ninth commandment is meant to preserve that spiritual community of faith, to communicate that value for truth-telling and guarding against falsehood among the people of God. But not giving a false testimony about our neighbors is about more than just the context of a judicial system, right? It's more than just that there's a process for bringing an accusation against someone for doing something wrong to us. The ninth commandment, more generally speaking, forbids, forbids lying. But here's the thing. It, it, it's like a coin. On one side, we see that lying is forbidden. But in that very same coin, as you flip it over... There's something that's being required of us, right? It's truth-telling. In the very same breath where God forbids the action of lying, of being untruthful, of, of giving space to falsehood, he's at the very same time requiring us to live in a place of truthfulness and speaking truth. What's forbidden by the ninth commandment is any kind of, any form of falsification, any, any, any fabrication, any, any invention around the truth. Big lies, little lies, white lies, half-truths, flattery, fibs, misleading statements, partial statements, where we say part of the truth, but we leave out the part that's either hard to share or doesn't reflect well on us, right? That's still a lie. That's still breaking what God is communicating to his people here in the ninth commandment. 
Fishermen like to tell stories by embellishing the facts. They're in fact breaking the ninth commandment. I've done it numerous times. What I said was a largemouth bass was actually probably a sunny, right? When we exaggerate stories, facts, things like that, to, to make us feel better about ourselves, we're cultivating something. We're not cultivating the truth. We're cultivating comfort around speaking what's not true, falsehood, right? When we exaggerate other people's failings, when we exaggerate what, where they're falling short, at the same time, what we're doing is doing it in such a way that makes us feel better about ourselves, makes us look better, right? That's breaking the ninth commandment. We're not, we're not speaking truthfully, graciously, and lovingly about our brother or sister in Christ. We're speaking falsely about who they are and about what's going on. It, it, if anything, to make ourselves look better. Misquoting or misinterpreting what another person has done or said, breaking the ninth commandment. Right? We, we have a memory of, of certain things that happen in our lives, and when we recount that, especially if we've been offended, <clears throat> when we've been offended and we recount that story to another person, how accurate do you think we are to, to, to recalling that story? Right? I mean, we're not. We exaggerate because we want to feel justified in being hurt or offended. And so we make sure that as we retell the details of the story, it's clear to other people how offensive that person was to us or how hurtful they were. So the, the ninth commandment, we have to understand, absolutely forbids a lie. But, but there, this one theologian, I love the way he said it, Philip Ryken said the most blatant violation of the ninth commandment is any lie that harms someone else. Do you get that? I mean, I, I think sometimes we think when we're not truthful, when we tell a lie, it's in, it can be innocent enough, right? Like, how does this actually hurt someone? But what God's intention is here in the ninth commandment, what's in view for God is the law as it plays out in the community of God's people. And so to actually most blatantly break the ninth commandment is to lie in such a way that it harms the people around us. You know, living within God's faith community means caring for the things that God cares for and abiding by his way of life that governs his land, governs his kingdom. And so what I hope we see here is that the heart of God cares about our relationship with one another. His law is not just how we behave and become like him before him. God's law is meant to cultivate healthy, God-honoring relationships with the people around us because God cares that we be a people of love just as he is a God of love. And so a lie is bad enough, but a lie that, that ultimately could harm someone else is even worse. Church, I don't know if we always understand the power we hold in our tongues. Our tongues are, are, are a tool to bless or a weapon to destroy. James, James writes in, in chapter 3, verses 6 to 8, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Our capacity to bear false witness against our neighbors is so, so great, so easy, it's so simple. And the destruction that we can cause by doing so is so easy. Once you speak forth a word, you can't take it back. You can apologize for it. You could repent of it. You can seek, to, seek restitution with the person that you spoke against, but you can't take it back. It's out there. It causes damage. Our ability to bear false witness against our neighbor and to harm them is, is extensive. It's not a hard thing to do for any of us. 
So that tongue, it has the capacity to bless and, and, and to harm. Our words matter. The intentions of our hearts matter. How we treat one another matters. The ninth commandment isn't just a matter of God crafting people who just tell the truth and don't lie. He does it because he cares about how we love others and how we serve him and care for others. And so when we entertain falsehood about our brothers and sisters in the faith, we're playing with fire. You know, gossip and, and slander are heavy words. But it's so simple and easy for any of us to do. Right? It, it actually, there's something like satisfying. You know, Pringles, you know those chips where you, like, you open and you, just, you try to eat one, but you just eat the whole sleeve? Or Girl Scout cookies? That's what gossip is like, right? We can't just, hey, pray for this brother. As soon as we hear that there's something that, that the news to pass on, it's like we got to eat the whole sleeve in one sitting, right? But it's so dangerous. It destroys the people of God. It hurts us. It, it, it does a work in our soul that, that can't easily be walked back. So the, the ninth commandment forbids lying. And not just lying in terms of not being truthful. It forbids any form of untruthfulness. And so not only does it forbid lying, it also requires telling the truth. Later this year, we're going to be learning about what it means to be the church that Jesus establishes here on this earth. Not just who we're supposed to be in that church, but what is God's desire for his bride, the church, and how we're to operate together, live together, worship together, serve together, be together in the church. And we're going to do this by walking through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And in one of the things that Paul tells believers in Ephesus is that if we're going to grow more healthy and whole and complete as a faith community, then we need to learn what it means to speak the truth to one another in love. How many of you have ever heard that or said that? Like, you know, yeah, we got to speak the truth, but we got to speak it in love. Speaking the truth in love is easier said than done. Right? It's not such a simple thing. It's not just having loving feelings in your heart and so saying whatever comes to your mind, right? There are a number of us here who hear Paul's words and think that this is a blank check to say whatever's on our mind when we feel justified by the truth of Scripture, right? I see my brother or sister stepping out of line, bam, I get to jump on them because this is what the Word of God says. But that's not what Paul's saying. To honor the ninth commandment is not just a blank check to swing our Bibles around at people and smack them upside the head because we see the sin being committed against God all around us. What Paul's saying is that our shared goal in the community of faith is unity and maturity and becoming like Christ. And so our motivation isn't to be moral police and tell one another off when we think they're not being good Christians. Our motivation and our goal should be to graciously and lovingly come alongside one another and help one another in overcoming and growing and maturing in Christ-likeness. It's not avoiding the opportunity to be truthful with one another. It's not avoiding how messy a situation is because, man, this is not a conversation I'm looking forward to having with someone, so I'm just not going to have it. That's not truthfulness either. Speaking the truth in love means that we would draw near to one another. We'd, we'd not be afraid of the mess, but we'd step into the mess knowing that we too are messy and need someone to step into our mess and come alongside us and speak truth in love to us, to be gracious, compassionate, and merciful. Why? Because they care about me growing more like Christ just as I care about them growing more like Christ. That's our shared goal. That should be our motivation in speaking the truth in love. So telling the truth to one another in love should bear the fruit of righteousness in one another's lives. If we're speaking the truth in love, then we should see Christ growing in the hearts and minds of the people we share 
in the community of faith with. And so it means that, that we speak the truth, but we speak the truth with clear motivations that they're driven by love, and we do so graciously, patiently, and slowly. We, we, we choose our words carefully and prayerfully. We don't rush to confront, but we're slow to speak, quick to listen to this person, quick to listen to their circumstances and the situation, so that when we do speak up, we're able to speak truthfully to the context that they're living in and what they're walking through. When we do speak up, they hear our heart, our love for them, that we are for them and not against them, just as Christ is for us and not against us. Elsewhere in, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says this. He says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In, in other words, your speech should be intentional. You don't just take the first opportunity that comes to speak to someone the truth in love. You spend some time thinking and you're able to approach them intentionally and carefully. Your words are covered in grace. And, and your, your desire for them, the, the eye toward which you draw near to them, is, is an eye to see them grow and mature in Christ-likeness. Church, the ninth commandment forbids lying, requires truth-telling. But... In that truth-telling, we have to understand that not every opportunity to speak the truth is an invitation to speak the truth out loud in that moment with the first words that come to mind. I would, I would tell you, first check your motives. Put a pause on the conversation, put a pause on the situation, and ask yourself, why do I feel the need to speak up right now and to speak into this person's life? Why do I feel like I need to say something? Is it because I love them and I desire to see Christ formed in them? Or is it because I want justice, my, my kind of justice? I, I want to make sure they know how far off the mark they are right now from Christ's plan for them. I think it's important we check our motives because our motives will change from time to time. There will be moments where we desire God's very best for our brother or sister in Christ. And there will also be moments where the mess within us is driving us to want to make sure we know how, how much of a bad Christian that person is or how offensive what they said was or what they're doing, right? So check your motives. But then check your information. The word of God is true. That's our, that's our source. That's our knowledge of all that is good and true, right? But, but we are students of the word. We're not masters of the word. Right? And so when we find ourselves in situations where we have the opportunity to be a truth teller, I would encourage you to pause and ask yourself, do I know that what I am saying reflects what God has already said? So check your motives, check your information, and then check that it's something that needs to be said. You know, you may love your brother or sister in Christ. You may be affirming, affirming what God has already said, so you might be ready to say what's true. But maybe you don't need to be the person that speaks that truth to that brother or sister in Christ. Maybe there's someone else who's closer, who's been walking alongside them, who, who's able to speak that truth into their lives. Maybe you need to let that person speak that truth. But if someone doesn't come to mind for you, guess what? You're it. Right? If you don't see someone else in that person's life who's able to speak God's truth into their life in a loving, compassionate, and gracious way in such a way that they become more and more like Christ, then guess what? You're it. Church shouldn't be a place where we come and sit in our pews, worship God, then get out and go. It should be a place where, where God is putting people in our hearts to get to know, to spend time with, to, to be a people where, where we can mutually Desire to see Christ formed in one another. So check your motives, check your information, and then check to see that it's something that you need to say. 
And then I would just encourage you to remember that sin has touched your life as well. No matter, no matter that you've given your life to Christ, no matter that he's working in you and forming uh, himself in you, your tongue is still capable of setting a forest ablaze. You still have the capability of destroying the work that God is doing in someone's life. James's wisdom teaches us to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Why? Because in the following verse, he tells us, because the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. Right? Slow to speak, quick to listen. Why? Because our goal is to see the righteousness of God in our brother and sister, as well as in ourselves, among the community of faith. That's what we want to see cultivated. So the, the ninth commandment is more than guidance for establishing you know, a healthy and reliable system of justice and peace and righteousness in the covenant community of faith. And it's doing more than just forbidding us from, from falsehoods, from uh, you know, telling tall tales and stretching the truth and, and straight out lying. It also requires that we be truth tellers. That, that, that we might do like the author of Hebrews says in chapter 10, to, to spurn one another on to love and good deeds. But the ninth commandment does one more thing that's vital to every child of God. The ninth commandment shapes us, spiritually shapes us in becoming more like our Father in becoming more like the God who created us, in becoming more like the God who rescues and redeems us and calls us to be his people, to live in his kingdom. The ninth commandment is not just some ethic that we're to live by, it actually does a work of spiritually forming our heart and soul to be like his. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul writes this in verse 20 to 25. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, this is spiritual formation language, right? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, God's forming us, spiritually forming us. He's casting off the old sinful self and putting on the new self, and he's forming us. Then he says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, our old self, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Right? We belong to one another. The faith community, the spiritual life, the Christian life, is not just about your relationship with God. The life that God has redeemed you into is a life where you are members of one another in the family of God. And so it's important to our spiritual formation in being formed to be like Christ, our new selves, that we live like Christ, putting away falsehood, speaking the truth with our neighbor. Why? Because we are members of one another. Your new self, created in the image of God, in whose image you've been predestined to be conformed to, is the image of truthfulness. God is the original truth teller, church. We're truth tellers because our God is truth. In the Gospel of John, we learn that Jesus came from the Father, who is what? Full of grace and truth. And as such, Jesus is able to declare later on in the Gospel he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, Jesus is truth personified. He's a, a, a living and breathing, walking a, a, a human being who personifies truth. Later on, when Pilate's examining Jesus after the Pharisees want to see him crucified, Pilate asked Jesus, hey, are you a king like they're accusing you of being? This is, this is how Jesus responds in John 18. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. Then he says this, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. To bear witness to falsehoods? No, 
to, 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 bear, to kind of exaggerate where I've come from or, or kind of embellish on the facts a little bit. No, I've come to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. Guess what? You are of the truth because you listen to Jesus' voice. As followers of Jesus, our king is truth. He comes from the Father, full of grace and truth. And his purpose in this world is to bear witness to the truth. This means that, that this, is, this man whom we're being formed in, the image we're being formed in, we too are becoming a people of truth. We too are to be a people who, who bear witness to the truth, who speak the truth, who affirm the truth, who protect the truth, who care for the truth, who desire to be driven by the value of truth and truth-telling in our community. But guess what? When we lie, when we give a false testimony against our neighbors, when we cause harm to our neighbors in breaking the ninth commandment, we're glorifying someone, but it ain't Jesus. We're not, we're, we're not being the truth tellers who, who bear witness to the truth as Jesus was bearing witness to the truth. When we break the ninth commandment, we don't reflect Jesus, we reflect Satan. We, we reflect the father of lies in this world. So Trinity, there, there is no such thing as a little white lie or a little fib. God's kingdom is a kingdom of justice and righteousness, guarded and guided by values that uphold that and affirm that. And it means that at its very core, we as witnesses within the kingdom of God need to be trustworthy and reliable tellers of truth not falsehood and gossip and slander and fibs and exaggerations. So, so the next time you're tempted to embellish, the next time you're tempted to gossip or, or, or to share someone's news that's not yours to share or to stretch the truth or, or to leave off certain things that look, poor, look bad for you, right? Next time you're tempted to do any of these things that, that, that could even fall anywhere within the category of being untrue, no matter how big or small it might be, you got to ask yourself, who am I reflecting? Who am I glorifying in this moment? Am I reflecting the God of truth or the father of lies? Pharisees, they're an easy target in our Bibles, right? I mean, it's just easy to pick on them. But the reality is, if you spend some time thinking and reflecting on the Scriptures, that's us, right? I mean, we, could, we, we can see ourselves in numerous characters in the Bible, but certainly within the Pharisees. Listen to what Jesus tells the Pharisees in John 8. He confronts them. He says, you are, the father, or you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. The core of your being, the, the center of your soul, the thing that drives you desires to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. We need to stop, slow down. When, when we're tempted toward toward falsehood, toward gossip, toward, toward speaking out of turn, doing anything that, that, speaking untruthfully in a way that might harm our brother or sister in Christ. We need to stop and say, who, who is it that I'm reflecting? Does my will, does my soul desire to be like my heavenly father? Or does it desire things that share more things in common with Satan, the father of lies. Trinity, let's spread the news of a new king in town. Let's be an example in our world where, 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 where truthfulness isn't necessarily a, a value that's upheld and, and, and celebrated. Let's be those people that have such a value for honesty and truthfulness and speaking the truth in love in a way that reflects the word, that the world around us can't help but wonder who are these people who are guided by a different value, who are guided by a different king. Let's be witnesses of God's kingdom and let it begin with us being truth tellers.
So church, don't, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Love them well. Love them well and speak the truth in love. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that, um, that you've given us your word. And Lord, we confess that there are certain parts of your, your word, the scriptures, that, uh, that we've, we've heard before. And so we kind of gloss over it or we move on or, or, or we, we kind of say, hey, that's, that's important, but it's, it's not really the most important thing. Lord, I think sometimes we, we treat the ninth commandment as being uh, uh, one of those less important words that you've shared in scripture. And that's just not true, Lord. So I pray that you would uh, give us space to think on and reflect on what truthfulness, what place truthfulness has in our heart, in my heart, in our hearts, as we live our life before you. Help us to be a people who, who, who are not afraid of the messiness of sin in this world and in the lives of our brothers and sisters, but, but a people who, who would who would draw near to it, who would boldly and courageously speak the truth, but in a loving and gracious and compassionate way, motivated by maturity and wholeness and Christ-likeness. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for, for a, a kingdom where you have designed it to guard and protect the integrity of the one another's in the community of faith. May we here at Trinity be a people who uphold these values in such a way that when the world looks in on us, they see a people after God's own heart. They see a people reflecting the glory of our God in heaven. That they too would be drawn to the truthfulness in the community of faith. A, a people who care enough to speak the truth and love to one another, who desire to see the righteousness of God cultivated in one another. So Lord, we pray that you would have your way in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.